All right, thank God for, hallelujah, for electricity, right? <laughs> Here we were in, in uh, Sunday school this morning, and the power went off. And I thought, what is going on here? Usually, you know, there's snow or there's rain or some bad weather, and then you expect the power to go off. It's a bright, sunny day. It's warmer than normal. And what's with the power going out? So... You know, I thought, well, Dave, here you are, you're in Sunday school, and it's time to, you know, maybe pray about whether the power will go on or not. You know, other people had been praying, and I'm sure everybody in the class is praying. And, uh, and so about a minute after I did a silent prayer, the lights came on. I was shocked. Wow, fantastic. And, uh, you know, just before the power went back on, though, I was thinking, well, if, we're, if we have no power, I, I might have to shorten my sermon. So, you know, if you think I'm preaching too long today, well, it's because God answered the prayer for power and he wants me to give you a full sermon. So anyway, that's, if, you, if you're unhappy with that, you have to blame that on God, all right? All right, I'm going to start with a, a J. Vernon McGee quote. And as you know, I, I enjoy J. Vernon McGee, not because I enjoy his accent, not because he's the most astute uh, preacher who ever lived, but because, you know, even though he's been gone from the planet probably for over 40 years now, what he said, what he wrote, it still applies. It still makes sense. And, and so he said, any true conversion is a revolution because what things were gained become a loss and loss becomes gain. It turns you upside down and right side up. He's uh, likening salvation to a revolution that happens in our lives, and, and it turns us upside down, but it turns us really right side up. And, and I'm going to start uh, the sermon today with an experience that I had at the last Christian Writers Conference that I attended, and I've been to, I think, three or four. It was uh, a little bit weird. Uh, it was disappointing. It was even disconcerting. And I left early because my mom was in the hospital, and this was down in Southern California, and so I drove her over to Thousand Oaks. Um, but uh, I didn't know it at the time, but that, she was on her deathbed. I, I was visiting her in the hospital. And uh, before I went to see my mom, though, in the, the last class of that seminar, uh, the seminar speaker asked people to share and. In the, in the class, what are you guys working on? What are, you, what are you writing? And so, you know, we went around the room and different people were sharing different things that they were writing. And, and then uh, it was my turn. And so I told them, I'm writing something called The Peter Path. Oh, what, what's that about? Well, it's, uh, it's about growing spiritually. It's about developing the character of Christ in our lives, developing Christ-likeness. It's, it's about developing the Christian virtues that are mentioned in Second Peter as we grow in discipleship. And then what the seminar speaker said to me shocked me. He didn't just say it to me, he said it to the whole room. He made fun of the idea and he said, how boring is that? Now I said, this is a Christian writer's conference. You know, you'd expect that from a secular writer's conference, but, but uh, you know, he was... I don't know. I guess he, he thought, well, that's not, you know, marketable or whatever. But, but it, was, it was really strange. And, and my thinking at that point in time was, wow, I'm, I think I'm in the wrong class. What am I doing in this class? 
And uh, I want to get into uh, the, uh, the testimony of Paul. We're continuing what Paul said last week. Uh, he left behind all of his pharisaical works righteousness. He saw it all as garbage, as refuse, as dung, as McGee put it, as muck. <laughs> and uh, McGee put it this way. He said, it was all stuff that works righteousness, trying to be good, trying to earn your way into heaven. Um, it, it was the stuff to be flushed down the drain. That's what he felt about that old religion that works righteousness trying to earn your way to heaven. And, and Paul said, I put all that behind me. And he fully embraced with his heart and his soul the true righteousness that comes from trusting Christ and receiving God's gift of grace to receive salvation. It's a gift. It's not something we earn. It's not something we, we do by being better than other people. And so as we read this passage, I want you to check out just how boring Paul thought it was to grow in, in Christ's likeness and to know Christ better and better and more and more. You know, is, it, is that a boring pursuit in life? And No, no absolutely not. Yes. <laughs> Philippians 3, 7 through 11. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Paul is speaking. I once thought all these things were so very important. He's talking about all of his works righteousness. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I may have Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own goodness or my ability to obey God's law, but I trust Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. As a result, I can really know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I can learn what it means to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that somehow I can experience the resurrection from the dead. You know, to, to know Jesus Christ experientially and increasingly Paul did not find that boring one bit. In fact, it was Paul's new lifetime, new life, new lifetime passion and pursuit. You see, he had been given new life, and so that was his new passion. And it's a passion that lasts an entire lifetime. And uh, it was like he was running after it, pursuing it, like he was in a marathon, a marathon of knowing Christ intimately more and more and better and better. And he never grew tired of that. He wanted to know Christ better. Can you imagine someone who claims to be a Christian saying, I want to write a book on, uh, you know, having Christ-like qualities and knowing Christ and, and say, oh, that's boring. Growing spiritually? No, that's boring. That's kind of wild, isn't it? That wasn't, Paul would not have said that. I want to focus primarily on verse 10 today. And I want to focus on it because it's a powerful verse. Paul described the very specific ways that he wanted to know Christ better and better. And if I were to ask you, if you were to make it your goal to know Christ better and to grow in your knowledge of Christ, 
what specifically would you like to know better? What would you like to experience more? If, that, if you had the same passion as Paul, and, and let's, let's hope that we have that same passion, what specifically do we want to experience and know better? And so let's look at verse 10 again, and this time I'm going to read it out of the New International Version. And I think that we'll uh, find that two out of the three things that Paul uh, mentioned maybe wouldn't be on our list. You know, they seem a little bit strange to us. Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So Paul wanted to know and experience three things. He wanted to, number one, know and experience more of Christ's resurrection power. And he already knew Christ's resurrection power, but he wanted to know it to a greater degree. He wanted to grow in that. And, and the power of Christ's resurrection gives us strength beyond our human strength. It gives us hope when things seem hopeless and grace to love people, even when they're hateful. And kindness, when we would normally want to lash back in anger, Christ's resurrection power gives us holiness and purity that we cannot produce within ourselves. Our old nature, our old man cannot become holy, but the Holy Spirit can produce that holiness and that purity within us. And, and that's just a short list of all the things that, that happen in our lives because of Christ's resurrection power, things that we can do because Christ lives in us. And so it, it wouldn't surprise us to, uh, to think that Paul wanted to know Christ's resurrection power more and more, and I think that all of us here want to know Christ's resurrection power more and more. But, but there's a second thing that Paul wanted to grow in, and I think this one is a little bit surprising and maybe a little bit shocking, and we probably wouldn't put it on our list. In fact, I, once time, I shared this verse at a ministerial meeting one time, and one of the retired ministers said, whoa. I don't think that would make my list, but uh, Paul said he wanted to grow in a special kind of fellowship, one that we don't typically think of when we think of fellowship. We think of fellowship, we think of friendship and camaraderie and special times and fun, but Paul wanted to grow in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Whoa. I kind of, it's kind of like a little bit of a smackdown. Paul, what do you want to grow in? I want to grow in the fellowship of suffering with Christ. Well, what does that mean? Now, Jesus was very clear on a number of occasions. He uh, clearly taught his, his followers that they would be persecuted because of their faith. He said, if they persecuted me, and they knew that uh, they were persecuting Jesus, if they persecute me, they'll persecute you. And the same is true today. We don't get a pass from this just because we live in America in the 21st century. Paul was not saying, though, oh, I haven't been persecuted enough. I can't wait to be persecuted more and more. I think he knew that that was going to come. That was just part of his life. But I think that what he was saying was that there's a special understanding, a closer connection with Christ when we suffer for him. 
We enter into his sufferings. We appreciate more fully what he went through to save us. We treasure our our saving grace, if you will, more than before. We appreciate the cross more. It's through persecution, pain, that we touch the heart of Christ and we feel his passion. It's like we're putting our finger on the pulse of Christ and uh, his suffering for us and his love for us. And and I want to explain it maybe in a, a weird way, but suffering with Christ is a healing pain. It's a pain that brings healing. That's what Paul viewed it as. It's an edifying pain. It's a good pain. It leads to wholeness. It draws us into the very heart of God. And I came across a a story that illustrates this. It's by James Boyce, who was a uh, kind of a famous preacher a few generations back. And He was sharing a personal experience. He said, quite a few years ago, a man was brought into the emergency room of the General Hospital in McKeesport, Pennsylvania, with a dislocated spine. My father, who is an orthopedic surgeon, was on duty, and he saw at a glance that the man had been partially paralyzed. He'd been in a serious accident, and there was much wrong with him. His legs had been broken. There were deep lacerations over much of his body, but he could not feel these things because a nerve had been pinched in the spine and he had no sensation in the lower part of his body. My father began to operate on him using a local anesthetic, occasionally asking if this man could feel anything from his injuries. The questioning went like this, do you feel anything? No. Do you feel anything now? No. At last, my father came to a piece of splintered bone that was pressing on the nerves. This time, he asked the question, can you feel anything? And my father removed the bone, and the answer came back loudly, yes, yes, I can feel it. It was a cry of pain, but it was a pleasing cry, for it was the first step in the man's complete recovery. Pain is not always a bad thing. And I think Paul had learned that lesson. He learned that there was a special connection, a special understanding of the very heart of Christ when he would suffer for his faith. Now, I think you all know um, the word sympathy. Have you ever felt sympathy? Yeah. That word sympathy literally means sharing pain with. Pain with. And, and, and you're drawn closer to a person and, and you're knit together through a common painful experience. You understand what that person's going through. And Paul wanted to know and grow in a sympathy with Christ's cross. You know, people who have gone through a painful experience better understand others who have a similar experience. Pain bonds people together. You know, I think about, this is kind of a, a similar illustration, but not to the same degree as what Paul's talking about. But, but um, I enjoy going to the ministerial fellowship because there's a special camaraderie there. We all know what it's like. We know the trials. We know the challenges. We know what it's like to face 
the things that people face who lead churches. And, you know, not everybody understands that, but here's a group of guys, and we understand it. We've been there. We live that. And it keeps us going, and we don't give up because we have that sympathy with each other. Now, when you hear the word passion, you might think of a lot of things. You know, someone has a passion for, say, golf or, you know, sports or basketball or whatever. But when you hear the passion of Christ, you, uh, you think of something completely different, The essence of Christ's suffering is the essence of his love. The love of Christ is no better expressed than when he died on the cross for our sins. All the pain that he went through, all that suffering, demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt how much he loves us. And and Paul wanted to grow deeper and stronger in understanding Christ's passion. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for us to identify with Paul's prayer, but I think that we can grow. The uh, first step to the prayer that we could pray is, Lord, help me when I go through hard times, when I go through trials, help me to understand and appreciate the mind and the heart of Jesus Christ more through this. Help me to know you better through what I'm going, about to go through. And that's a great prayer to pray. Well, Paul also wanted to grow in a third way in his knowledge of Christ. And uh, it might seem strange again when you you hear this, but in the NIV, Paul said, I want to become like him in what? In his death. Wow. How do you explain that one? Was Paul saying, hey, I'm tired of living. I've been through enough. I've had a lifetime quota of all this stuff. I just want to die. I don't think that's what Paul was saying. He did look forward to Christ's uh, coming in, in the rapture. He, he looked forward to being, having his body uh, translated into a glorified body. He looked forward to being in the presence of Christ. And, and we all can relate to that. We can all understand that. But, but I think that Paul was focused on a different dimension. I think his desire to embrace the death of Christ is connected to Theologically, what the Bible says is as being crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. He desired to grow in the ability to consistently put to death his old nature, the old fallen sinful man, so that his new man, his new nature, could flourish and keep on growing stronger and stronger, and that growth would take place uninterrupted and undeterred by the sinful self, by the old nature. You know, some people explain it this way. You know, this, is, this is important. Listen up to this. You cannot enter into the power of the resurrection until you identify with Christ's crucifixion. A lot of people say, oh, I want to experience more resurrection power in my life. Well, you know, along with that comes, you know, Paul saying, I want to be able to identify with Christ's death. Uh, I like how Lightfoot put it. He said, no one can participate in his resurrection who has not first participated in his death. And so Paul wanted to increasingly experience a life dead to self 
but fully alive in Christ. To experience the power of Christ's resurrection, to experience the life of Christ living in us and through us, requires us to what? To die to self. And how often does self rear its ugly head in our lives? You know, you can put self to death in your life, and then an hour later, guess who comes back knocking at the door? <laughs> that old self, right? And so Paul wanted to grow in being able to relate to putting to death that old man. That's a great goal for each and every one of us, right? And uh, as we enter into the death of Christ, denying ourselves, we experience his life more and more. And I'd like to sum up Paul's goals with this. Paul wanted to become like Christ in every aspect. Resurrection power. And he, he wanted to embrace even the crucifixion, the death of Christ. He didn't want to live by his own power, his own strength, but he wanted to get that old self out of the way and to live completely and fully for Christ. Now, when I was writing this sermon, I, uh, I, was, I was wanting to focus on two verses, and I knew that I wouldn't be able to give two verses, I wouldn't have time to give both verses the equal treatment. So I chose that we'd focus on verse 10. But I want to briefly touch on verse 9. And some have said that verse 9 perfectly summarizes the whole book of Romans. Romans is a complicated book. Romans is an extensive book. I mean, you can spend months and months studying the book of Romans. But uh, one verse in Philippians summarizes the whole book. Philippians 3.9, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Book of Romans, you can distill it all down. How can you be made right with God? How can you find true righteousness? It's not your own. It's not your own doing. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that verse, verse 9, deeply touched and impacted the heart of John Bunyan. As you know, John Bunyan wrote... The, uh, the, the Christian book that has sold more copies than any other book than, well, not the Bible has sold more copies, but no other Christian book has sold more copies um, than he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And, and his conversion story is related this way. He was walking one night through a cornfield and God began to lay this verse, verse 9, heavily on his heart. And he saw for the very first time in his life that he was not a good person, even though he tried to be. He saw that he was a sinner from head to toe. And so he gave his heart to the Lord, and he saw how Christ has everything. I have nothing. I can't add anything to what Christ has already given us in the the death, burial, and resurrection. Now, I came across an illustration that made a lot of sense to me. Sometimes the simple illustrations are the best ones. This made a lot of sense to me. Um, it, it illustrates how 
people try to get to heaven on the basis of their own goodness. So they're, they're a good person. They don't do a lot of, they're not involved in gross sin. You know, they try to get to heaven based on their own good deeds. They try to help people out. But uh, the illustration goes this way. All of our good works, our good deeds, done in our own effort, done apart from Christ. You think, I don't need Christ. I'm a good person. All of those good deeds is like monopoly money. It has no value in heaven. It can't buy heaven. God doesn't recognize it. Only Jesus' work on the cross is recognized and has value in heaven. And that's why we're to give our heart and our life to Jesus and put our faith in what he did on the cross and in the resurrection. That's the way of salvation. Now, um, this Christmas, we, we had an interesting uh, Christmas celebration. As I've shared before, my brother was driving his car. His car broke down. We got a call. I drove down he, to Fresno, picked him up, and then, you know, then drove him back down to Fresno and all that. So he had to rent a car. And so I got to spend a lot of time with my brother, and, and uh, one of the highlights, though, of, of Christmas was opening a presents, and we actually made my brother laugh. Nancy and I had taken a couple days. We went to Morro Bay. We always, if we go to Morro Bay, we always like to get the saltwater taffy, you know, and she picks the flavors she likes, and I pick the flavors I like, and then when I eat my flavors, I can't tell you what it is. I can't tell you if it's banana, banana or orange or whatever. But, but uh, in that shop, they had fake money that looks like real money, and it was a million-dollar bill. I think we bought it for two bucks. And so, <laughs> so I thought, this is going to make a good present for my brother, you know, put it in a stocking. He got a chuckle out of it. You know, I said, Steve... You know, don't tell me that I never gave you any money. You know, I gave you a million bucks. But, you know, that million-dollar bill, even though it looks real, it's worthless. It's worthless. And Jesus said, I am the way, the way, the truth, and the life. We can only get to heaven through Jesus Christ. You know, uh, person by the name of Dr. Carroll said that when he found Christ, he lost his religion. He'd been trying to be a good person. He'd been trying to earn his way into heaven. And he realized that he had to lose that. That really sums up what Paul's been saying. You know, I was a Pharisee of Pharisee. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I obeyed every, every minute detail of the law. But that's all garbage. As McGee said, it's all stuff to be flush down the drain, flush down the drain. Now, Isaiah 64, 6 says that all of our righteousness, and our righteousness, not Jesus' righteousness imputed to us, but our righteousness, righteousness we try to conjure up, all of our righteousness is as what? As filthy rags. In God's sight. God doesn't take in dirty laundry. He takes the blood of Jesus. And so, 
I, I hate to think, though, that what will happen to people who've been busy investing their lives in monopoly money and they get to heaven and they realize that it's not recognized there. God doesn't accept it. We need to get the word out. We need the best that we can pray for these people and ask that God will touch their heart, that they'll be able to see, like um, John Bunyan, you know, to, to walk through that cornfield and, and see that, that God has everything, we have nothing, that we're a, we're a sinner from head to toe. And a lot of times people will say, well, I don't do bad things, but if you look in the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> Guess what, you know, God, Jesus says, if you think it, it's like doing it. God knows our thoughts. God knows our thoughts. All right, well, I've probably spoken long enough, but I want us to know that God loves us. He wants to forgive us. He wants to give us new life, a new nature. He wants to live in us. He wants to live through us. And, and so if there's someone here who hasn't given your heart and your life to the Lord, there's good news here. Maybe it's tough to think, oh, all the good th deeds that I've done, you know, it's all worthless. You know, what I'm... But the good news is you don't have to do that anymore. Jesus has done it all. Just receive it as a gift. You'll experience the power of Jesus' resurrection. You'll be given a new nature. There will be the fellowship of Jesus' suffering, but we'll learn to live a life where we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we live for Jesus, we follow Jesus. It all boils down to less and less of me, more and more of Christ. Isn't that really summarize our lives? Isn't that summarize what we have to be about this coming week? Less and less of me, more and more of Jesus.